This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 68 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, January 31st, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we see several recent releases recover their development and marketing cost in their opening days on the market. Halo Infinite received the first in a fresh batch of now ongoing info drops, and the once-truant Biomutant has resurfaced with news and a release date. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse, as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I want to do each and every week, I want to offer words of kindness to someone who has made my gaming week better. And this week, words of kindness go to a longtime friend and supporter, The Winter Gamer, who is so often in my timeline offering words of positivity, kindness, thoughts on games, and so many more. Winter had been absent due to a lot of stuff going on of late, got a message from him this past week, absolutely made my day, made my week better, and it was good to remember just how great gaming can be at letting us find friends and people we care about that mainstay for years and years at this point. That's a great feeling, and I have to say, Winter, it was great to see your name pop up once again on my timeline, and uh, I'm glad to know you, man. You're a good dude. It's awesome to have you here. Quite a few news stories this week as we seem to have left the doldrums of winter behind us, at least in terms of the news and the gaming space. Microsoft has posted some record numbers that raised my eyebrows a great deal. I was well aware, of course, that Microsoft and all gaming companies were doing quite well amidst the pandemic as people turned to gaming for entertainment, excitement, and uh, really just escapism on a number of levels. To say that it was not impressive for Microsoft and Sony to launch new consoles amid all that, alongside, you know, in many cases, new games and, and games that were remastered and touched up to make release dates it was shocking and impressive and in a gamesindustry.biz article we found out that microsoft's numbers were quite frankly staggering i was very surprised at it particularly with the conversation that surrounds the console space and what it is that xbox is trying to do i'm going to get a bit businessy on you as i read some of the highlights from this gamesindustry.biz article because i think it's important for context Reported on December 31st, 2020, Microsoft's gaming revenue is up 51%, with hardware being up 86%, which we of course attribute to the launch of the Xbox Series S and X consoles. I believe we understood already, and we had even reported that uh, console hardware sales were up to 86%, but to find out that overall revenue is up 51%, really what I thought was quite impressive amidst everything that's going on. In regards to that supply demand, Chief Financial Officer Amy Hood added that the console demand was significant 
significantly exceeding supply, with Microsoft stating that this was the most successful console launch they've had to date, but they are expecting for weeks and months to come that that supply is still going to be constrained uh, for the foreseeable future. We also saw that Xbox content and services revenue was up a a number around 40% or so, and the company was crediting that to the rise of third-party titles, Game Pass subscriptions, and first-party titles. To be blunt, I'm not quite sure which first-party titles they're attributing those numbers to, perhaps some of the ongoing services like Sea of Thieves, which really got an incredible glow-up on the Xbox Series S and X. And to this date, it remains one of the most impressive live service games and, and visual games uh, in, in my repertoire and in my backlog that I go to consistently. More interestingly, though, than my backlog uh, was the fact that Xbox Live now has a reported 100 million monthly active users. 100 million active users on Xbox Live's services, and Game Pass numbers have grown to 18 million subscribers, and that's up from 15 million, which we knew about back in September. Those are the numbers more than anything else that surprise and impress me. It is understood, I think, when you launch a new console and you have a catalog that is decent to great, somewhere in that range, uh, that you're going to sell and move units. Now, for monthly active users and engaged consumers to be charting at 100 million, to me, is staggering. I'm very curious how they got those numbers, how, how the divide is spread amongst PC users, xCloud users, amongst Game Pass subscribers, Xbox Live Gold subscribers, uh, if you're seeing them on the Xbox One or Series S and X devices, and does this factor in, say, Minecraft that's available for the Switch? I am just curious to know how those break down. Nonetheless, when you have 100 million consumers that are using your service actively, that's 100 million customers that can be spending dollars in your ecosystem. And that ecosystem word is key and pivotal when it comes to Microsoft's strategy going forward. There's a reason that it's used in the bylines of this particular show, because that is the angle that Microsoft seems to be uh, trying to bring users into its fold. Frankly, when I saw PlayStation 4 numbers charting around 110 million units sold, I always found it impressive, and I always had to quietly remind myself that units sold doesn't mean people are spending money and engaged. The often-discussed casual gamer that only plays Call of Duty or Madden of course, those those people do exist, and while companies might get money up front from a console sale, including Xbox, there is no doubt that that user is not really generating much money, uh, and in truth, is probably not making the company much to any money because consoles are typically sold at a loss. To find that you have a live service like Xbox Live in this case, or any other live service, PlayStation Plus, PlayStation Now, Game Pass, what have you, is, is just remarkable, and it really stands the test of time that we're seeing users continuously be engaged on these services. Uh, it was reported over the last week or so that Star Wars Battlefront 2, a, uh, a game that is no longer in development actively in any way, shape, or form apart from server maintenance, they're not making any new content for that game that really ended up well. Uh, when it launched for free into the Epic Game Store, 19 million users logged on for the first time. That's incredible. That's how many people are using the Epic Game Store, a service that was at one point panned because it was so bare bones compared to its uh, chief chief competitor in Steam. 
for that many active users to be alive and well in the world of gaming, redeeming games, spending dollars, checking out ecosystems uh, in various platforms, to me is just a wonderful testament that we're going to see gaming thrive for some time. I'm all the more excited to see that Game Pass, lacking an exclusive, lacking a big major get in what we thought Halo Infinite would be this past fall, has climbed from 15 million in September up to 18 million by the end of December. That means they landed 3 million new users, 3 million new users in a three to four month time. That's that's incredible. Those are great numbers. And for them to do that again without a major heavy hitter is surprising. I'm curious to know how Microsoft's strategy will be going forward with those major tentpole titles combined with third-party titles. We know that Microsoft is anxious to fill out its service. They've, they've actively gone on the spending spree that we so often discuss with Bethesda and, and so many more studios. We're also seeing rumors that they're seeking to have another Bethesda-sized acquisition, which some people speculate to be Sega, some people speculate to be Ubisoft, and frankly, I have no idea about. But it will be interesting to note with sales and revenue numbers as high as they are, with monthly active users that are engaged in spending dollars in your platform, and you're able to recoup a $7.5 billion investment in Bethesda and show off numbers of profitability in recent hits like Hitman 3 and The Medium, two very different games, one of them being in Game Pass, it will, will really make me raise eyebrows, wonder, be curious, and take note. What other acquisition they could put up into their up their sleeve what would be valuable and profitable for the game pass service and what the gamers would want uh i don't have any idea what it would be at this point if there will be that but we know they want to fill out their service they want to have tentpole titles at least one a quarter with some smaller titles sprinkled in and what better cadence of great games could you hope for in a service like Game Pass? And what's the number of pure profitability across the platform to maintain, to grow, to be appropriate? Is it is it 20 million users that you need? 25, 30? I've heard the number 30 million users is what they really want um, at the end of the day. I, I, I have no idea about those things. But I do know that all of this news bodes well for the future of Microsoft, for Xbox, for gaming in general. Because this service and these services will push their competitors to continue providing great games from the Sony side. Perhaps update their practices on the Nintendo side. And it's funny how we see this story this this story of this this very successful microsoft xbox company happened a week removed from the xbox live price hike fiasco you know we're seeing all these great profit numbers while microsoft's uh you know flagship online service of, of live gold was costing its its previous and now current price and then they wanted to price hike it and that makes me wonder were they gearing for more investment were they trying to pay off investments what was the the reason and the angle there Nonetheless, this is good news for the mainstay of Xbox gaming in general and the competition that we want to see happen throughout. I mentioned profitability at recent releases of The Medium and Hitman 3. Both of those games have launched 
and recovered and recouped their marketing and development costs. One, of course, being dropped day and date into Game Pass. We'll talk first about the medium, a game that I have not yet played at this point. I got my code the day before it launched into Game Pass, and I had too much on my plate. So I have not yet played it. However, launching day and date into Game Pass, the Bloober Team console exclusive announced on its uh, on a various po- a Polish publication, I should say, uh, that the game sales have already eclipsed, and that's an interesting word to use there, uh, what it cost the studio to develop and promote the game. It's interesting to note this because this is a console exclusive. It's available on PC, but it's also on just Xbox Series S and X. That means it is not available on Xbox One, and it's one of the very few titles that's not available on Xbox One, but on the Series S and X, and it dropped day and date into Game Pass. I'm curious what the development costs were and how much uh, of the bill Microsoft took care of for the game to drop day and date into Game Pass. I've also noticed that many people think of the medium as a first or second party game. I want to remind you that this is a game published by Bloober Team, not Microsoft. The only reason people are th- or the only reasons I should say that people are thinking of this as a Microsoft game is because it's console exclusive and in Game Pass, but it's not been made, developed or published by Microsoft. So, perhaps we should be careful when we are offering comparisons to games like Miles Morales or anything like that. Um, I'm seeing very divisive, or I should say a, a healthy spread of reviews and people that liked and disliked it, ranging from the game's fine to the game's great. Uh, I haven't seen anybody report that it was a broken game on any level. Many people seem to uh, be applauding the story and the visuals of the game, and in particular the sound design. Uh, I'm anxious to try it myself, but I'm told that it's more of a story game that has some horrific moments as opposed to being a pure scary game. Nonetheless, I'm looking forward to it, and I'm glad to see that this title became profitable so quickly uh, in a world where game development is expensive. And I really and truly do want to know how much of the, the bill was footed by Microsoft. Was it date, was it profitable due to sales or to the exclusivity deal that Microsoft uh, pushed for this game? Those types of things I don't think we'll really get to see, our, our, see with our own eyes or really get to find out, particularly as Game Pass operates on a case-by-case basis when purchasing and selecting games for its service. Nonetheless, it's got to be interesting to, to know what kind of deal uh, different developers of different sizes, games of different sizes and types and genres get offered. Do, I, do they offer you know more money for horror games, which are, are fairly absent on the first-party space for Microsoft? Do they offer less money to RPGs because they now have NXI and Obsidian and all that jazz? These are very amateur questions that I offer only because I don't know enough about it, but it would be really interesting to get a fly-on-the-wall perspective for the angle of approach that Microsoft has with Game Pass. We know that it we know that offering titles in Game Pass generates more money, but how? Where? How much? What's the what's what's the divide on that? Interesting there. The other game that was profitable is Hitman 3. The official numbers for Hitman 3 were not released, but it recouped its development and marketing costs with, despite being available for less than a month. Speaking to gamesindustry.biz again, and we must cheers on gamesindustry.biz. It's really impressive what they do. I know we had Rebecca Valentine on uh, some months ago, and she's now departed for uh, other places, but it's really cool to see that they're reporting so much on the business side. I just dig that. It makes me happy. Uh, nonetheless, in an article, IO Interactive CEO Hakan Abrak revealed that the company had recovered all of the, pro- the project costs in under a week. And he said, quote, 
It has been a labor of love between our fans and everyone at the studio. As a developer and publisher, we are immensely proud that we can say Hitman 3 is already profitable. That puts us in a really good place and allows us to confidently move forward with our ambitious plans for future projects. End quote. Now, of course, future projects is 007, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But I'm really interested to see the business side of this in finding out just how much the legacy titles played a factor in profitability for Hitman 3. I was one of the, the individuals who received a review code for Hitman 3, and I found myself so enamored and loving it so much that I went back and purchased the legacy content for Hitman's 1 and 2. Those publishing rights have been divided between Square Enix, Warner Brothers, and, of course, now, uh, IOI themselves. That's really interesting. I'm curious how that breaks down because three different publishers for three different games, however, all of them are available under this Hitman 3 umbrella, and you're able to access under that umbrella what they now call the World of Assassinations. Uh, and that's dope. I love that. I love that I can take it all into one place. It reminds me of Master Chief Collection. If I want to play Halo, I boot up the MCC, and nearly everything branded with Halo is there, playable and accessible without any uh, extra downloading or, or mishmashing. And once you get that same process to work in Hitman 3, you can purchase legacy packs or you can load your previous saves in if you already own those games, then they just work. And I was, again, so enamored with Hitman 3 that I went back and purchased Hitman's 1 and 2, and I played through all of Hitman 1. I'm about halfway through Hitman 2 and anxious to keep going, and there's so much content there now. There is a ton of content, and all of those levels are meant to be replayed, offer different experiences. And uh, I, I gotta say, I'm so sorry that I slept on the world of Hitman. However... This was the perfect way to get me in, in a January window where I was anxious to play something special on my, my new console. I wanted to play something unique. I wanted to, of course, familiarize myself with uh, IO Interactive ahead of their, their James Bond projects, and I'm digging it. I am just absolutely loving it. And to find out the game is profitable, and in the same week they announced that they've got more content coming for Hitman 3, has just it filled me with delight. One of the things that I don't always uh, appreciate is when they fi we find out the DLC is coming, but it takes too long to get there, right? It takes forever. Right now, I'm still waiting on Watch Dogs Legion content, and that's kind of a bummer. I kind of I I don't like that because I'm still waiting for a game that I really loved, and I'm worried that uh, it'll be too long, and by the time the content is out, I won't want to pick it up anymore. I won't want to go back into that world. Uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, very quickly I might add, just released their newest DLC. Anxious to go back in on that one. I still remember how to play that game. I'm still excited to play that game. I'm going back in. It was actually one of the reasons why I couldn't stick with Hitman 1 back in the day because it was episodic. And I would play some and then put it down and then I'd forget how to play and the new content would be there and be like, well, I'm not doing that. Now with Hitman 3, of course, all of the contents there, bonus contracts, extra DLC, the sniper missions, so good, so good. And uh, Famous Seamus had written in asking me my impressions of Hitman 3. I hope I answered your question there. I'm loving it. Some of my favorite moments have been uh, <laughs> standing behind my target and teaching them yoga on a cliff and then kicking them off the cliff. I, of course, have drowned many a person in a toilet, uh, which offers its own level of rewards and disgust. Uh, I have worn a katana on my back dressed as a bodyguard and shoved that katana right through somebody the back of somebody's head while their boyfriend took a shower next to them and couldn't see me. There's a, there's some crazy scenarios that you get. Uh, I've seen a lot of people killing people with muffins and banana peels. 
I've killed F1 racers. It's really wild uh, what you can do and how creative it is. And it's all an exercise in patience. And it makes me all the more interested to see how they tackle a franchise, a branding like 007. I'm a big James Bond fan myself. I really dig the books because I'm a dork and I read a lot. I really dig a lot of the Daniel Craig movies. Uh, I have a, a very strong affinity for Sean Connery and Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton's uh, Bonds as well. I, I'm very anxious to see what they do, how they distinguish 007 from Hitman, how they allow Hitman to, to, to keep going. And um, yeah, there's, there's a lot to take away there. I will, I will tease something. I have a pretty cool thing in the works that might shed some light onto the world of Hitman coming up in the next few weeks here on XEP. My humble little podcast uh, scored one that I'm quite pleased to have. And so hopefully in the coming weeks we're able to give you something cool for, for the Hitman fans and, and the longtime gaming fans. Take that how you will. Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps. And you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Now, as we step away from industry jargon and profitability margins, we have an info dump on Halo Infinite that I was ecstatic to have. It was actually far more information than I would have expected. 343 Industries has released a new Inside Infinite article over on their blog that discusses several aspects of Halo Infinite and the information we can expect to see come out of 343 in the coming months as they prepare for a fall release of Halo Infinite. What was super exciting about this was we found out the game is in large part 90% complete and they're in the bug fixing and polishing phase for the experiences. They have something called a sandbox team that is working to put a strong emphasis on each of the sandbox items. And what this refers to are like weapons, tools, vehicles, and what the purposes of those various vehicles and tools, etc. are to make sure that they operate as intended, they feel well, they can't be overpowered, underpowered, and that the community is able to take advantage of them in the way they are intended when they release into single and multiplayer content. I am digging this. I love this news. I love knowing that we're in the polish phase. They doubled down on the idea that the game will not suffer on Xbox One or on lower-powered PCs, and that the game will shine on the Xbox Series S and X devices along with high-powered PCs. It has something to do with that slipspace engine and the way that they are scaling their content. I think that's neat. I don't have the understanding and the wherewithal to go with, you know, why that might be. But I do appreciate that this is the same team that heard the feedback from a July demo that was very mixed. I was actually myself ecstatic by a lot of the elements of that demo, with of course acknowledging there were a lot of rough spots there. But as a Halo fan, there were some things to get excited about. They heard the feedback, they've adjusted things, the damage was done when they delayed the game, and there's no reason to to worry about uh, whether or not this game will or won't come out at a certain time. I'm glad they pushed it all the way to fall so they could work on rather getting it to be the perfect experience and as best as it can possibly be. To say that the pressures on Halo Infinite are are insurmountable would likely not be an exaggeration. They've got a very unique task ahead of them. With the pay, with the free-to-pay wall coming down, Halo Infinite now has to compete with the likes of Fortnite, Destiny, and Call of Duty Warzone in order to make headway with a community. Without having an Xbox Live subscription and without needing to purchase the game to play, there's a lot of competition in that realm to bring people in, and I don't think Halo has the panache with younger audiences. It will be very fascinating to know 
what Microsoft does ahead of their now new release date. Will we see energy drinks once again? Will we see another wave of toys be announced? Will we see uh, marketing deals and this show up on NBA uh, or NFL broadcasts? How are they going to handle making Halo relevant to younger audiences? Because it doesn't hold a candle to its current competitors of Warzone, Fortnite, Destiny, etc. Uh, it was great to see Halo content end up in Fortnite. I think that's a great way to do it. Crossovers are, uh, are absolutely something that needs to happen. We've yet to see whether or not Battle Royale or a version of, of, its, of, of Halo's Warzone will exist with some variant of that. And if it does, how much do you want to do crossover content with some of the more popular games? Do you? Do you not? There's uh, certainly seemed to be a lot of confidence from 343 with Joseph Staten leading the charge, discussing the various elements of, of what it is they're doing with the sandbox teams, with their now what we expect to be regular Inside Infinite info drops. And I hope that they are prepared to give us good news and bad in order to stabilize messaging. It has, as I said, an insurmountable level of pressure. Nothing short of a masterpiece will be acceptable uh, for Halo Infinite uh, without sacrificing the franchise. Halo Infinite or Halo Infinite must succeed. Otherwise, Halo is no longer going to be relevant for the next 10 years. It's just sim simply that, that, that easy. That's, it's just too far gone at this point. So my expectation, my hope as a diehard Halo fan is that we get nothing short of a masterpiece in this upcoming game and that if they are having trouble with something, we see it in these blog posts. We recognize, hey, this wasn't going so great, so here's what we're trying to do. And frankly, I don't care if they have to delay this game again to get it right. The damage was done when they missed launch. No further damage can come from Halo Infinite's delays short of uh, releasing it too soon with bugs and, and it being an online mess. None of that could be acceptable. Much to my surprise this past week, the thought-canceled Biomutant has resurfaced after an extended period of silence with developer Experiment 101 announcing a May release date for their open-world stealth action game. I am fascinated by this. I said stealth. There are elements of stealth in it. However, it's kung fu and melee based with elements of shooting as well. Frankly, to be blunt, I'm not 100% sure what Biomutant looks like, but I could not be more excited for it. My understanding is that Experiment 101 is a development team of roughly 20 or so people, and their roadmap is, is just staggering. The fact that they announced the game and then went quiet for two years is, is wild, and what they've been working on over the last year or so of that development is simply bug squashing, and that is... Uh, pleasant to hear. It's surprising. Of course, you know, I think many people point to Cyberpunk because that game launched with so many bugs. And of course, you can point to any number of Bethesda games over the past few years, BioWare's games that have released. When you've got big open world games, they're going to have bugs. To find out that they've been polishing and cleaning up for such a long time certainly bodes well for prospective purchasers of the game. I know I'm interested in it to say the least, if only morbid curiosity at this point. But it was pleasantly surprising to find out that this game was not canceled that the team was doing well and that we'll be able to check it out as recent or as early I should say as May that's wild to me May is already fairly close by guys I mean time is a flat circle at this point I can't believe that we are in February of 2021 I feel like feel like 
it's been years at this point, thanks to the to, uh, tumultuous 2020. But uh, I'm su- surprised and excited to see what Biomutant has to offer. And frankly, I'm curious for any of listeners of this show, please tweet me at insipidghost or email me insipidghost at gmail.com. Did you know about Biomutant? Were you aware of it? Was it on your periphery? Were you thinking it was also canceled? Are you excited for it? I, I'm just so curious what people think of this game because frankly, I'm excited for it, and I don't even know why right now. I see the art, I hear the name, and I'm like, yeah, Biomutant. But uh, what? What is it? What will I do in it? I don't know, but I'm stoked to see what this 20-person team uh, called Experiment 101 does. They're all ex-Avalanche Studios, guys, so uh, cheers to them. I'm excited to see what they bring. Listener mail and topics are how we are going to round out this episode. Todd Oxter writes in, What games are you most worried will be delayed or moved out of 2021? Todd, I told you earlier that I I don't mind if Halo Infinite, I wouldn't be surprised if Halo Infinite got delayed. Uh, That changes every week. I'm like, oh yeah, that might get delayed. Oh, no way, it's definitely coming out. That's not the one I'm thinking of, man. Right now, uh, the one that I most want and perhaps even need to come out in order to keep my spirits high is Gotham Knights. I often talk about Arkham Knight and the Arkham franchise being among, if not my, most favorite games of all time. I love Batman, I love the character, I love the world, and I love those games. And I love what WB Montreal is doing with their their vision for Gotham Knights thus far. It was also announced that Mitch Dyer, Mitch Dyer, I should say, formerly of IGN, he's written a number of games over with EA, including Battlefront 2, is also working on Gotham Knights. He tweeted out that the team at WB Montreal is doing special things, and given Mitch's pedigree in terms of reviewing games critically and his, his talents as a writer, I'm all the more excited to see what WB Montreal can do here. I also think that Montreal's Arkham Origins is underrated in the Arkham series, and all of those Arkham games are great, of course, but sometimes when we when we get into our fanboy arguments and battles, we rank one, we rank the top, we rank one, the bottom, and then people tend to think of the bottom one as bad. No, no, that's not true at all. I'm really curious to see uh, what this team does with Gotham Knights, and I'm just terrified that it will get delayed. I just, I want more Batman in my, that's my feel-good escapism favorite world to be in as a a video game player so i'm really hoping that one doesn't get delayed i'd also like god of war ragnarok to come out this year uh we don't know what ragnarok is and i know that's a playstation side game but it's one that i think is important to the gaming industry and one that i really have a lot of excitement for i think god of war is the best game ever made and if ragnarok is kind of say the miles morales or or it's just a build on of the previous engine then in all, by all means, it should come out this year. It should be capable of, of handling that. If it's more ambitious than that, it could seemingly get delayed. Uh, and in a year where development is very difficult because of remote working and remote learning between the, the two parties, I certainly think that um, it's a prime candidate to get delayed. But those two games I would really hope don't get delayed. The, the difficulty with your question on the Xbox side of things is, frankly, we don't really know what's coming out for Xbox this year in terms of first-party titles. Halo Infinite's pretty much it. We've got an idea about some of the things that might happen this year, but we don't really know what's on their slate. We're due for an inside Xbox or two. Uh, and I know a couple of people asked me in in the questions this week, you know, what we whether or not Inside Xbox is going to be returning. If I know anything at the moment, I don't. I've not heard any rumblings. And frankly, if they do have an Inside Xbox return, I'm curious to know uh, just how that will land. 
I just don't have good answers for those questions yet. It's funny, amidst all the news coming out, there's so many things that we don't know. That's uh, it's interesting there to, to be sure. But Todd, great question. And uh, I believe kind of embedded in that, I answered a couple other people's questions as well. So thank you guys for writing in. And let's do our let's do our one last question while we're while we're in this same you know time slot here. Uh, Skedaddle writes in, "What are your thoughts about PlayStation publishing the upcoming MLB The Show 21 for the first time on Xbox? It is slightly strange to see PlayStation PlayStation Studios logos on the recently leaked Xbox box art for the game. Is it very unlikely that we will ever see this come to Game Pass?" Skedaddle, that's a lot of questions, and frankly, I'm thrilled to see MLB The Show come to to Xbox platforms. While I certainly don't have any real intentions to play it, I'm not somebody that cares about baseball uh, as a sport or as a game, I'm really glad that this exists because Xbox gamers have been devoid of a, a true MLB option to play, and that's in large part due to those what I think are very silly exclusivity deals. I thought it was a very strange thing for MLB to assign themselves to be strictly with one studio and one platform. With the caveat that MLB The Show is easily one of the best sports games ever made. So I recognize why they would do it. But it's a great thing, I think, for Xbox gamers to see this title uh, with Xbox Green on the box art. Uh, it doesn't bother me at all to see PlayStation Studios there on the uh, on the box either. No more than it should bother anyone when they see uh, Xbox Game Studios pop up on, on games that end up on the Switch. Or hopefully PlayStation as well at some point. That is the way of the future in seeing these games companies find ways to make the most money, bring the most value to consumers, uh, and, and mix and match accordingly. I think when it comes to sports and when it comes to certain franchise-type properties, exclusivity is a bad thing. I don't ever want to see Batman exclusive or Star Wars exclusive. I don't like when I see Marvel games exclusive. Like I think it's a shame Spider-Man is exclusive. Uh, and, and that is not a console war thing. I just think it should be available to many people because those characters feel like they belong to people, as do sports, right? I would like to see sports go everywhere. But bottom line, I'm stoked for it. I hope we see more of this type of stuff. If a game is great, I want more people to be able to play it. I don't want to lock people out of it. So uh, cheers to that one. I'm, I'm stoked for it. And as to your question about whether or not we would see it come to Game Pass, uh, there, there are two elements to weigh in that. Financial gain for both companies, and optics. Financial gain, is, it, is there more money to be made by putting the game into Game Pass, getting it in more people's hands? Is there Are there microtransaction-based elements to this? Do they want to uh, make this something that's available to even more people because of xCloud, because of PC structuring? Uh, or, or do they want it to remain out of Game Pass, something you absolutely have to buy because optically it would look bad to have a PlayStation game in Microsoft's flagship service. So that, there's a lot to weigh in that. Uh, frankly, I don't expect to see it happen or show up in Game Pass. But here's hoping that uh, regardless, PlayStation baseball fans, Xbox baseball fans, baseball fans are able to play together at some point, have a good old time, and celebrate uh, a great game like MLB The Show because God, I can't argue. The game's good. The game's good. <laughs> Alrighty, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to XEP this week. As a reminder, the Xbox Expansion Pass is available on all podcast services for you to subscribe and rate on. And, of course, it is available over on YouTube now as well. Uh, Again, I remind people of this only because I think it's important to note 
on YouTube, it's just the audio track with an aesthetic image. There's nothing fancy schmancy about it. However, I like the idea that more people can check it out. I'm close to 100 subscribers on the YouTube side. Uh, and while it doesn't even come close to matching the podcast number side, if we can get to 100 on YouTube, then I can get the, the URL, youtube.com slash Xbox Expansion Pass, and hopefully see more people able to check out the show there. I have a few interviews coming up over the next few weeks. I've been kind of holding on a, on one or two just for the right time. I think uh, fans of several games that have recently released will be pleased there. Uh, one of them, of course, being Cyber Shadow. If you've not played that one, go check that one out. It's brutally hard, but I really dig it. I know the review was in last week's episode, but check it out. All right, guys, that's it for me. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Take care.